Welcome to Whatever is Lovely, a podcast with Yesame Nelson discussing theology, beauty, books, intentional living, and much, much more. May you be intrigued, engaged, delighted, and encouraged. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German pastor and theologian whose anti-Nazi work eventually led to his death as he was hung in a concentration camp on April 9, 1945. The following poem was written while he was imprisoned. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from this country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly clearly, as though it were mind command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of, or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O oh God. Thank you.
I love that poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think we often elevate people on pedestals who are doing great works for the kingdom of God and this beautiful, vulnerable insight into the inner workings of his mind and his heart as he was imprisoned by the Nazis is so powerful to see that he was just a man, weak as I am, weak as you are. And now, on to our main topic. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today and tuning in for another episode. Today I'm here to talk to you about a topic that God's been really speaking to me personally about a lot lately, and that is the freedom of limitations. Ooh, it has been a bit of a trying day today. It's actually been a great day. I've had a great, simple, wonderful, quiet day. Um, and before I kind of dive into the topic... I kind of just want to unload on you guys a bit, and I don't want this podcast to be too formal. I'd like to keep it um, feeling like friends chatting a bit. So last night, my husband and I went to go see Shakespeare in the Park, a play um, by Shakespeare done um, by a local, very small theater company um, here to promote the arts. It was a free a free kind of a thing we went to, and it was it was really sweet. It was my first live Shakespeare play that I've ever attended. And, uh, yeah, for a long time, probably a year or two, I've been really excited and wanting to get to a place where my husband and I were kind of seeking out the arts as far as a way to spend our free time. You know, that instead of just watching a movie or something, we could go to a play, we could go to the symphony, go see a ballet, to my husband's um, utter disappointment. (laughs) Uh, He's not a big fan of ballet, but he was ruined one year when I took him to see the Nutcracker. Um, and so anyway, we went to the play and it was, it was great. The acting was actually really well done and typical, I guess, of Shakespeare was very morbid and dramatic. Um, and though we didn't enjoy the plot line a ton, we, we still thought it was excellently done and it was still a fun experience. But here we are finally walking into something I've been wanting to do for a few years, you know, and I, And I realized uh, my life was enriched as far as my life felt more satisfying. My life felt more fulfilled, a total amount of zero after seeing that play. And isn't that what we always do? We look forward to something in our minds, be it the sweater we've been wanting to buy, a certain way we've been wanting to live, um, a certain car we wanted, a house we wanted, decor we wanted, I mean, you name it. And we think that when we get that thing, our lives will be enriched. Our lives will feel more fulfilling and satisfying. And in a certain sense, I think our lives were enriched by by the play. In that, I think it spurred good conversation between us. It spurred some good thoughts. But beyond that, I didn't find my life feeling more fulfilled. And I realized, huh, being at home taking care of my kids, making meals, cleaning, working with my husband on the house, talking with him, serving in our church, seeing our friends, the day-to-day, you know, ho-hum-drum of life, the mundane, as we call it, is is the most satisfying thing that I do. It's the most fulfilling thing that that I do as far as the way we live our lives. You know, if, if you're not coming from a foundation of a relationship with God, um, nothing you do will be ultimately fulfilling or satisfying that that's the beginning and end of everything but within that 
I found that it's really true what Ecclesiastes has to say, that it just eating and drinking and enjoying the toil that God has given you to do under the sun, that, that is the fullness of life, to obey God and revere Him and fear Him and obey His commands. That's it. That's the fullness. Everything else is already, it's just icing on a cake that's already been iced. And so um, just thinking today that as I was folding a ton, a mountain, the Mount Everest of laundry on my couch from neglect um, from last week. We're just in a super busy season and I don't have a, t a ton of time to devote to household chores because I'm helping my husband with the house a lot right now. But anyway, as I was folding the laundry, as I was kissing my babies, as I was, you know, disciplining and training them and spending time with them, I just kept thinking, this really is the good life. This very simple thing, doing what God has given me to do with enjoyment, eating and drinking with the people I love. What a sweet, sweet, blessed mercy. Um, and I'm not saying that we will never participate in anything outside that ever again, but, but that's enough. That really is enough. Anyway, without further ado, our topic of conversation, the freedom of limitations. So my thought that I wanted to propose to you all today is this. When we accept God-given limitations in this life, we actually free ourselves we often think and feel, and this world certainly tells us, that to be free means to do whatever I want, whenever I want it. But I propose that this complete giving in to the whims and impulses of my own desires and thought results in slavery, not freedom. Mic drop. <laughs> Why does this matter? Why should we discuss freedom? What is the point of this topic of conversation? Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Luke 4, 17-21 says, and this is speaking of Jesus, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, there's our word again, freedom, those who are oppressed. So we have Jesus, the most influential person in human history. As it was infamously said, no matter if you think of him as liar, lunatic, or lord, you cannot deny the fact that he is the most influential person in history. And he is saying, he's proposing, he's proclaiming that, that we are captives, that we are slaves, enslaved to something, and that he has come to set us free. You guys are going to be hearing turning of pages as I go through books and my notes and I hope that uh, that isn't bothersome. So Jesus said he came to set us free, that we are enslaved, and that he came to set us free. So this is obviously something to discuss. If the Lord of the universe, as I believe him, says that we are enslaved, um, freedom is, is a topic to be discussed. Interestingly enough, he said he came to set us free, yet instead of telling us to disregard the law, to do whatever we want, whenever we want it. He infinitely raised the bar, infinitely raised the level of obedience. So for context, you have the Israelites, a group of people that God came to, that he revealed himself to, and after a bunch of stuff that happened, a long history, he brings them out of being slaves in Egypt um, by Moses, his servant. He splits the Red Sea in an awesome display of glorious power, you know, crushes all the Egyptians with the waters and um, brings the Israelites through on dry ground to the other side. And while they're in that wilderness, he gives them 
his law, what he wants them to do to worship him, how he wants them to live in regards to each other, how he wants their system and society to function, a lot of law, expressly in the Ten Commandments especially. So Jesus comes a few thousand years later, and instead of saying disregard that law, freedom is doing whatever you want. You're slaves and I'm here to set you free, so you know, go do whatever you want. He doesn't. He does the opposite. In Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28, he says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he came to set me free, yet now God is asking a level of obedience of me that's so deep, even my mind and heart have to come into alignment with it. I can't just say... I didn't I won't sleep with that woman since I'm married or since she's married. I will not commit the act of sleeping with her, but in my mind I will lust for her and think of her. Nope, that's not going to fly. You have to obey even in your heart, even in your mind, even in the places no one else can see because they're internal. God sees, and you have to obey him even there. Hebrews 10:16 says, "This is the covenant, this is God speaking. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days," declares the Lord. "I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds." So obedience, these limits, these laws have to flow from inside of us. We must adhere and obey to them to the strictest sense, even in our emotions, even in our thought life. That's a high, high level of obedience. That's literally an impossible level of obedience for us. But that's a different topic for another time. So we see this. Jesus didn't say freedom looks like doing what you want. He says freedom looks like obeying the limits God has placed in every regard, in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. It's, it's complete adherence to God's laws. That's freedom. So let's look at a story that illustrates this. There was once a woman given a limitation. As my two-year-old likes to say, Don't eat the fruit, Eve. And to translate that's don't eat the fruit, Eve. <laughs> don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We all know how that story ended. And the whole universe, down to the most minute participle, fractured. Her rebelling against that limitation did not free her. It enslaved all creation to tyranny and death and sin. So we see again a pattern of freedom is obeying the limit, not rebellion against the law. And when we go against that limit, instead of finding freedom, we find we are made captives. We are enslaved now. But, ah, this doesn't make sense to our human minds. How can a limit set me free? How can a limit set me free? I'm going to read a quote to you guys by um, a woman who I just think is amazing. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. You may have heard of her. Her husband was, um, was it beheaded or shot? I can't remember. He was killed as a missionary by the tribe that they went to um, try to minister to. And she's a very famous woman who lived a wonderful life for God. So I'm going to have to click my phone a couple times here to access the quote. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's probably annoying, but just bear with me. Okay, this is a beautiful quote from her book called Let Me Be a Woman. As I sit here, in the window of this cottage, I can see a sailboat skimming silently along the horizon. It is a beautiful image of freedom. But the freedom of that sailboat to move so swiftly and beautifully is the result of obedience to laws. The builder of the boat had to know the proper ratio of beam to keel to mast. The one who sails the boat obeys the rules of sailing. 
A ship tacking against the wind moves deviously, but when she runs with a strong tide or a following, a wi following wind, she takes to herself the power of tide and wind, and they become her own. She is doing the thing she was made for. She is free, not by disobeying the rules, but by obeying them. Modern highways are often called freeways, but how much freedom of movement would there be if each driver were encouraged to choose any lane, any speed, any direction that happened to appeal to his fancy at the moment? That's such a perfect way of saying it. What she's saying is limitations are everywhere. And if the universe could somehow throw them off, it'd be chaos, not freedom. If the earth moved in its relation to the sun, we would all perish. We would melt or freeze. If gravity ceased, if cells stopped working in rebellion to their God-given functions, if atoms began to split to rid themselves of the restraint of their casing, life would be a nuclear atomic mess. But within the freedom of all its confines, life flourishes. Grass sways in the breeze. Somewhere a bumblebee lazily drums and hums in the tune of summer. The earth spins, plants grow, day turns to night. Isn't that beautiful, guys? That's what limitations do. That, that's what we see in creation, the adherence to laws, the adherence to God-given limitations. Whether you believe in God or not, that is very plainly true. But God has gifted mankind with a very fragile and a very hefty gift, the gift of free will. The ability to choose whether or not we will submit to his beautiful, freeing, life-giving limitations or not. And to, to thus choose death. So to choose one is to not choose the other. You cannot have both. I want to read to you guys a quote by G.K. Chesterton. He is a very witty journalist, poet, philosopher, theologian, the list goes on. He apparently did it all, but as he so cheekily puts it, the moment you step into the world of facts, you step into a world of limits. You can free things from alien or accidental laws, but not from the laws of their own nature. You may, if you like, free a tiger from his bars, but do not free him from his stripes. Do not free a camel of the burden of his hump. You may be freeing him from being a camel. Do not go about as a demagogue, encouraging triangles to break out of the prison of their three sides. If a triangle breaks out of its three sides, its life comes to a lamentable end. Somebody wrote a work called The Love of Triangles. I never read it, but I am sure that if triangles ever were loved, they were loved for being triangular. I love him. He literally makes me laugh. He's so witty. He's so kind of snarky and a genius to boot. So there you have it. You cannot have both. To choose anything is to limit oneself. Okay, let's keep going here. So to choose anything is to limit oneself. Let's think about that. If I choose to fly to Borneo right now, I'm not flying to London and I'm not staying home and I'm not doing a million other things. To choose that is to limit myself. I cannot do all things at one time. To choose to... Um, I've drawn a big blank here, but I don't, to choose to drive down the street to Grandma's is to choose not to stay home. To choose to go to the grocery store is to choose not to go to the bowling alley. I mean, you can't escape it. It's everywhere you turn. You cannot do all things. To choose one thing is to not choose something else. A choice is a limit by design. But that's not a bad thing. Although, idiotically, many today would disagree. Um, but that's just one of the huge lies of our time. 
but there are no limits. There's not even truth. Truth is totally relative. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and all roads lead to truth. Truth is not relative, friends. Truth is not relative by definition. That is a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell. So another wonderful G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton quote is this, and he puts this so succinctly. He says, What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition, so what we go after. Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that does assert itself is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he ought not to doubt, the divine reason. And again, a little later, he predicted the mindset of our time perfectly when he said this, At any street corner, we may meet a man who utters the frantic and blasphemous statement that he may be wrong. Every day one comes across somebody who says that, of course his view may not be the right one. Of course his view must be the right one, or it is not his view. We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. Ah, so funny. And so true. Today we doubt even that there is a truth, even that we may know it. So we must have, first of all, before anything else, we have to accept the limit of truth, that there is a truth. The reason we bulk against this is because if there is a truth, that means that I might not be aligning with it. That means there might be a limit on my life and what I'm doing is not okay. Or I may be called to do something else I don't want to do. So we fight that truth. It's better to deny that it exists at all. But truth is real, and we can know it. And if that is true, if it's true that there is truth, <laughs> as cyclical as that sounds, and that we can know it, then we must seek it out wholeheartedly. We must seek out that truth wholeheartedly, friends. This is a really big topic. This is a really big topic in our culture and in our climate today. We don't want limits. We don't want rules. We don't want laws. We want anarchy. No one can tell me who I can be with. No one can tell me how I can dress. No one has the right to require me to wear nice clothes to a wedding. I should be able to go in pajamas if I want to. No one has the right to tell me what to believe or if I'm wrong. I mean, this just goes on and on and on and on. You know, you, I see all kinds of things all the time. There was a teacher in a European country, a college professor, no less, a high level of education, who's talking about the difference of the sexes from a purely biological, um, scientific standpoint. And he was later called into question because students were upset that he was talking about the difference of the sexes. Because no one can tell me the definition and the limit of my own sex. I get to decide. What we are proclaiming, friends, is that we are God. No one can tell me what to do. I decide. I decide truth. And I, you know, I create this universe, basically. It's by my design. What I decide is true is what's true. We want to be all little demigods of our own lives. And you could choose to live that way, but you'll find at the end of your life that you are utterly dismayed that there was a truth. And you, friend, were on the wrong side of it. And so I declare, sorry, clicking my phone again. That we ponder this. We ponder limitations. We ponder the freedom that they bring us. Think about some of the most um, 
successful people in the world, some of the people who have achieved the most or who live extremely purposeful lives, productive lives, are extremely limited. A marathon runner who runs for the Olympics is not free to do whatever he wants. He's not free to eat whatever he wants. Not if he wants the freedom of running in the Olympics. Not if he wants to achieve that. Then he must limit himself. What he eats, his free time, because so much of it has to go to training for that marathon. There's limits that he places upon himself that cause him to be free to achieve way greater levels of success. This plays into health. I'm technically free to eat whatever I want to, but if I choose to limit myself... You know, in a moment, I might want ice cream, but if I place the limit on myself of choosing something healthy or denying myself of that ice cream, I'm actually freer. Why? Because when I'm not healthy, I'm limited. I'm truly limited in that I can't do a lot of things. I might have disease that keeps me incapacitated. I might just have headaches and migraines and body aches and anger and all these problems And so I can't serve. I can't go help people. I can't go run with my friends, go on a bike ride, canoe down the river, walk down the street. Um, I'm limited because of my lack of health. But if I were to choose to limit myself purposefully, to place limits on my diet, that no, I may not just eat whatever I want when I want it. I'm going to spend time researching and learning about health so that I can pursue it for the purpose of freedom. Because when I'm healthy and strong and feeling well, my mood is improved and kinder to the people around me. So I'm freer in my relationships. I feel well, well enough to go help that person move out of their house, well enough to carry my child, well enough to play on the floor and play at the park with my kids, well enough to run, jump, skip, you know, um, we truly are freed by that. And so this plays into a million areas of our lives. Now, please don't hear that I do this really well. I said that this is something God has been speaking to me a lot about recently because I don't do this very well by nature, as probably most people are. There are some people, I think, who are naturally gifted at self-discipline, but I'm not one of them. I tend to be very lazy. I tend to be very um, given to, oh, how would you say that? Just giving in to what I want, you know. Oh, well, yeah, of course I should enjoy that second bowl of ice cream. Um, I tend to do that. And so God's really speaking to me about limitations, about the freedom I will find in them. And so there's a lot of ways that this applies to our life. If um, If you find yourself on the side of God where you're questioning life, lunatic, or Lord, If you find yourself there, the first question about limitations is, are there any? Is there a God who placed limitations on my life? Is there truth that we can know? Does it limit me? You know, what is that truth if it's out there? Those are questions you should be asking. And if you just logically look at creation around you, you can't escape that limits bring freedom. The limitations of creation allow it to flourish and not to drop into total chaos. And if that's true in nature, why would it be untrue anywhere else. And so I would encourage you to to pursue those questions. They have answers. If you are a Christian, God has lots of limits for us in his word. We encounter them almost any time we read it. And they can be really hard. They can be really hard because they go against our desires. They go against what I want to do because of my sinful flesh, because of my unrenewed mind, because of my deceitful desires. I often desire to do the exact thing I'm not supposed to do. If my husband's 
being rude to me, the last thing I want to do is love him, serve him, be gentle, be kind, be respectful, submit to him. What I want to do is rage, scream, manipulate to get my way, make him feel bad, punish him, not forgive him when he's sorry. Well, that's not what I'm called to do. And am I freer in that? Is my relationship with my husband better? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I have to limit myself and submit myself to God's design and God's plans for my life. This plays out so personally in all of our lives. Lately, I'm really struggling through um, limiting myself in my free time. I don't want to live a life like I shared a few podcasts ago that that is just kind of stagnant and not going anywhere, that is experiencing growth at an, a very slow rate. The Israelites in the wilderness were stuck there for 40 years because they didn't adhere to the limits with joy that God had given them. They didn't adhere to them at all. And they were punished by not entering into the promised land. I don't want to be the Israelite going round and round and round and round the same thing God's been trying to teach me for 40 years. I want to go somewhere. I want to go further up and further in, as Narnia says. I want to get somewhere. And so I'm a mom and I'm busy, but I do have free time. I do have free time, especially if I'm not wasting it on my phone. And so what should I do with my free time? Well, I often want to watch a show or just veg on my phone. I love researching, so I often just want to spend all my time researching. But that's kind of like a careless, lackadaisical way to go about my free time. And so I'm not getting where I want to get. So I'm trying to submit with joy to the limitations I'm placing on my free time. That, you know, from this time to this time, I will read this book. On Mondays, I will do this. Maybe it's work on my podcast at nap time or, you know, to set those limitations so that I can get somewhere. So that like the marathon runner, I'm running somewhere. I'm getting somewhere. I'm going to complete that race. I don't want to just have, I don't want to come before God at the end of my life and say, Ooh, well, I read a lot of Facebook posts. I can tell you a lot about what people were doing or I know a lot of useless facts about nothing (laughs) from all my time researching and obsessing over all kinds of very random things that didn't impact my life very much. Um, I want to say, oh man, yeah, Lord, here's my life back to you. I I pray that it pleases you. I try to do everything that I could to use it well, um, to live with it purposefully. That's why at the end of my podcast, I say live life on purpose. Life is like sand in an hourglass. It is going, and you can't stop it. You can't just keep turning that thing. It's stuck. It's fixed, and it is going in one direction, towards death. And if you are a believer, also towards life. But it's going. It's slipping through your hands. It's like trying to grasp oil or wind. You can't. It's going. It's, It's going every day, every minute, every hour you are moving towards, closer and closer towards your death. And that might sound a bit morbid. But we can allow that to inspire and motivate us that like, yeah, I have a very little amount of time. I don't even know how much. It could be way less than I'm thinking because I may not live into old age and I want to use this life very, very purposefully and well. And so limitations help us do that. I pray that this has been helpful to you today, guys. I pray it's given you something to think about, um, to consider, to submit yourself to. I know it's hard. I fight against it as well. But I as as scripture reveals to us, if we will accept those limits, if we will place ourselves under them and realize that they are for our joy and our freedom, we will find just that. We will find ourselves set free in this life. 
walking in and doing all the things we were made to. And uh, slavery is the true limit. You know, slavery, being captive to things, truly limits our lives. Whereas in God's kind of upside-down, backwards kingdom, His limitations bring us into freedom. So let's accept them, and let's walk into them, and let's find ourselves freer this week, freer tomorrow than we were today. I think in another podcast, part two, I'll be discussing what does this look like personally in our lives, and going into some particular limitations that God sets for us in His Word. And, um, and how we can find freedom in them by, by obeying them. Thanks for listening today, guys. Bye. You've been listening to Whatever is Lovely, a podcast with Yesami Nelson. If you've enjoyed listening to this, please feel free to share it with a friend. And remember, today, live life on purpose. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you.